All right, that was a great day last Sunday, seeing everybody getting baptized. I think uh, I think I heard a number of 38 through the three campuses, which is awesome. Uh, I know we had five, uh, and that's what we're excited about up here. And I know there's several others who have placed their faith in Christ and uh, get to take that next uh, step of uh, obedience and, and being baptized. Some of you are recent uh, followers of Christ. Some of those uh, have been followers of Christ for a while, and so I uh, just encourage you to follow through on that step um, of faith or step of obedience. So again, baptism doesn't save you, just like communion doesn't. Only Jesus does that. And uh, baptism is just an outward demonstration of what God has done in our life. I'll pray for Jason and some of the high schoolers and some of the youth staff as they're down in southeastern uh, Ohio. They took a weekend away, kind of hung out a little bit just for a high school retreat, so pray for them. I think they're coming back um, this afternoon. It's great to see Chase back, Chase Dickerson, on the drums, so that's awesome. Uh, some of you may or may not know, but uh, Chase was deployed for over a year, and, um, and so he's back. He's back safely. We're thanking the Lord for that. It was good to see Logan back up. We gave him kind of a break after eating this last year and doing that on a volunteer basis, so we gave him a, a little break for that, and so we're uh, excited to see those guys back up. Appreciate it, what everyone's doing in our music ministry. Um, so... <clears throat> Let me ask this question. What does the life of a person who has a heart for God look like? What, what would that look like, do you think? Or let me ask this question. If God were to evaluate your heart or my heart, would he say, hey, they, they have a heart for me. They have a heart after my heart. King David, he's Israel's second king. He's, uh, he reigned about 3,000 years ago. I know that some people think that history is only about 60 years. You know, you look into the past and World War II, it's like, whoa, that was a really long time ago. Did it really happen? Well, the world's been around for a lot longer than that. And so 3,000 years ago, people lived on this earth. They were educated individuals. They weren't cavemen. They were real people going through real life, making the same good and bad choices that we make. Um, not necessarily driving cars. They would, they would get traffic jams with their horses and chariots and be upset and be like, if, you know, I could teach you how to drive a chariot better than, you know, we, same difference. We just have cars. But uh, David is a guy we're going to find out over the next several weeks that he made some good decisions. He made some really bad decisions. And yet God says a man after my own heart. So how can it be that a, a guy who messes up terribly can still be called a man after God's own heart? Again, he lived a long time ago, but what he went through, what he experienced, we can pull lessons from that. We can pull things for our life that we need to have uh, applied to our lives. We can learn from his good choices. We can learn from his bad choices. And so that's what we hope to do over the next several weeks, that, that this will motivate us and encourage us to be people after God's own heart, that we will make the choices that he wants us to make, that we would do life the way he wants us to do it. So go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, page 298, if you're using the Bible there in the seats. And as you do, I want to just give you some background information, because again, Israel has been around for a while by this time. And so Israel, as a nation, they were in the promised land, the land that God brought them to after he freed them from slavery in Egypt. And so they've been there for about 350 years, a little over 350 years. During that time, God was supposed to be their king, 
And so then everybody was supposed to live life based off of what God said. They didn't have a leader necessarily. They didn't have a king who told them what to do. They were just looking to God and doing what God called them to do. And God was supposed to be their king. And God said, if you do life the way I say to do it, then you're going to experience the blessings that come from that. If you choose not to do life the way I say to do it, you're going to experience what happens when you do life your way as opposed to my way. And so what would happen is over the years of what they call the time of the judges, because God would put these guys in place in leadership, they're kind of like territorial leaders, uh, that when Israel started doing life the way they wanted to do it, they would experience what would happen, which is always destruction and deterioration and, and bad things. And so then God would try to get their attention back and he would allow another nation to come in and attack Israel. And then when that happened, they would turn to God, because that's what we all do, right? We turn to God when we're in trouble. We may not turn to him when we're not in trouble, but when we're in trouble, God, get me out of this. I promise I'll do this, that, and the other thing if you get me out of this. So they would pray to God. God, because he's a good God, he goes, okay, well, I'm going to free you. So he, he raises up a guy who they call a judge, and that guy would lead them militarily, and they would defeat their kings, and then they would go back to doing life God's way, and then the cycle would continue, and it happened year after year after year. So we, we come to this time where um, there's a guy named Samuel. And Samuel is a prophet. And he's also a judge. Uh, and so Israel's under attack. He raises up Samuel. Samuel then leads Israel uh, to, be, to a victory over the Philistines. As he's getting older... He appoints his sons to be judges. Now, normally God is the one who appoints judges. judges. For whatever reason, Samuel decides, I'm going to appoint my sons to be judges. The elders of Israel say, we don't want your sons judging us because they don't, they're not doing life God's way. We don't want ungodly people leading us. They said, hey, we got a better idea. Give us a king. All the other nations around us have kings, so give us a king so we can be like them. And then somebody can lead us all the time as a king. So Samuel goes to God and says, hey, these guys want a king. And God's like, well, feel free, pick a king, but understand, let them know that when you have a, a person as your king, he's going to ask things of you. He's going to tax you, and he's going to get you into the military, and your young men will die and you'll have to follow this guy and what he wants to do. And he may or may not be a godly man. So if you really want him, you can have him. And so he picks Saul. Saul is tall, dark, handsome. He's a warrior. Not the leader that you would think. Because obviously leaders are shorter than six foot. They're bald, a little overweight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, I'm just saying, so obviously this guy's not going to be a leader. You know what I'm saying? Okay. okay. Anyways, so they pick Saul. Now, let me just, let me back up <clears throat> physically. Uh, anytime you hear me say Paul, just know I'm saying Saul. Okay. For whatever reason, we're doing acts on Thursday nights and I've got Paul on my mind, and so I keep saying Paul rather than Saul. And last week we talked about Saul, who actually is also named Paul. And I got done with the service. Nobody paid attention to anything I said at the 9 o'clock. They only came up to me and said, you said Paul. <laughs> you, you said Paul like every time. <laughs> <They're> like, 
<laughs> I had a my my sister in law's brother. Uh, whenever whenever somebody said something to him he didn't like, he went. <laughs> and so I uh, I used to do it to my kids. Uh, anyways, and I it did, I did it again today. So I apologize. Can we get back to this? So Saul. So Saul was the guy. Everybody thought that Saul, Saul was the, the guy. Tall, dark, handsome, warrior. I mean, this guy was everything. He reigns for 40 years. But what they find out as they go through this, that Paul was not a man after God's heart. He was a guy who continually disobeyed God, continually did what he thought needed to be done, not what God wanted. And so God said, listen, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. And eventually, uh, Saul and his sons are all killed in battle. But several years before that, and so this is where we're picking up the story, several years before he was killed, or they were killed, God, who's always working, he's always working his plan out, right? So he says, Samuel, I have a guy who has a, he's a man after my own heart, and I want you to go anoint him as king-in-waiting. This is the guy who's going to take Paul's place when he dies. And so we pick up the story. Samuel has just killed uh, an Amalekite king named King Agag. I'm not sure why it appears named him Agag, but whatever. Um, but he killed him. Now, why did Samuel kill him? Why didn't Saul, the king, kill him? Because God said, kill King Agag and all the Amalekites. So he's judging them. He's using Israel to do this. And so he's judging those Amalekites. And he says, kill the king. And Saul's like, um, no, I think it'd be better if I kept them alive. And so he keeps them alive. God's like, no, you're supposed to have them killed. So Samuel follows through and he does what God calls him to do. That was one of the reasons why God took the kingdom away from Saul, because he wasn't being obedient. So, this is where we're picking up the story, and here's how it goes. So, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long, will you grie- how long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Now, Saul, uh, his disobedience impacted Samuel. Because Saul wasn't doing life God's way, Samuel was bummed out about it. Now, I think some of us here probably understand that feeling, right? We know people in our lives who, man, we just want them to do life God's way, but they just don't seem to be able to do it. And it kind of bums us out. It kind of discourages us. Well, that was happening with Samuel. It's just, it's what happens in life. So fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So Jesse who lives in Bethlehem. For I have uh, selected a king for myself among his sons. Now, he doesn't say which one right away. And we're going to be talking about that later on. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you. It's a cow type of thing, a bovine. And said, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So it's interesting. God doesn't even, like, doesn't even give Samuel the time of day. He said, what if I get killed? And God's just like, hey, just go take the heifer and go do what I tell you to do. You just, just obey me. Trust me. All right. So you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So just, just go do the next right thing for me, and I'll tell you when you've picked the right son. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. 
And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? Now remember, this is the guy who killed the king, the, the king of the Amalekites, who Paul didn't. So he actually disobeyed the king on top of it. So these guys are like, man, you don't want to mess with Samuel. So they're afraid he might be coming there for some retribution or something. And, and so they're afraid. He said, no, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves or prepare your hearts to worship God and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice as well. So Samuel, we, we start, the story starts out here with Samuel being bummed over Saul's failure, his inability to do life the way God wants him to do it. But God's always working. Even when we don't do things the way we're supposed to do it, God's always working. There'll be somebody who's willing to do it his way. There's somebody who he's going to be able to work through. And so even though Samuel is afraid, he's unsure, he trusts God, he does the next right thing, he meets up with Jesse. And it's just interesting, again, something we'll talk about here towards the end, but it's interesting how God rarely gives us the end result. He doesn't give us the final picture. Read through Scripture. He only gives people what the next step is. Always. You know, Abraham, you know, he was told, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. But really, what does that mean? You know, I'm going to give you a land. Okay, so that's land. But really, most of what he does is he gives us the next right thing to do. And we're supposed to leave the results to him. And so Samuel and Eventually, David here is going to experience the same thing. So Samuel, he wipes away his tears. He puts his trust in God. And he goes and meets up with Jesse's sons. And, and here's how that plays out. When they, speaking of the sons, entered, he looked at Eliab, which would be Jesse's oldest, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed us before him. This is the guy. This, is, this guy is, again, probably tall, dark, and handsome. And so let's, let's use him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Now, why not? Why not look at someone's stature? Why not look at someone's skill set? Don't we always look for somebody who's going to be our leader, who's, you know, tall, dark, handsome, I mean, you know, who looks the part, who acts the part, who speaks the part, who we want somebody like that. I'm not talking about... <laughs> I realize that we don't have much of those options, politically speaking, uh, especially with who's running for president. This, oh, just, we just got to be praying for our country. But if we could have our way, we would want a president who just kind of, yeah, I'm the president, and I got it all figured out. And we're like, yeah, we love this president. So why doesn't God do that? Well, let's see. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So, so when God's picking people to lead, he's looking at their heart, looking at what motivates them, not their physical stature, or even what's kind of going on in the world around them. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen, uh, chosen these. Now, stop here for a second. 
And I think it's important as we're reading this, you've got to kind of put yourself in their sandals because here's Samuel and Jesse now knows that one of his sons is going to be king. And so Jesse has his sons come past him and none of them are king. If you were them, what would you be thinking? This is crazy. What? Because he said there's going to be a king for my son. He's not here. It would probably kind of, not really sure what's going on here. And again, I think some of us know what that feels like. So Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, oh wait, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. I bet you any money Jesse forgot his birthdays. I bet David never had birthdays because they were constantly forget, forgotten. I'm not saying that my parents ever forgot my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he said, by the way, I'm the youngest of five boys and my mom forgot my birthday. <clears throat> so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. <laughs> So feel free to go up to uh, uh, Greg and say, hey, you're ruddy. Uh, because it, it's kind of referring to his reddish hair. All right? And so, again, this is the Middle East, and so usually people are dark-haired. But back in the day, that a person to be ruddy, have reddish hair, was actually like a blessing. It was kind of like, hey, these are people are, you know, good-looking people. Anyways, so uh, being reddish, reddish... Whoa, someone okay back there? <laughs> Anyways, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. Now, again, I put in there, I think, I didn't know we were choosing from, by appearance, but anyways. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the guy. This is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. So the Holy Spirit was with him the rest of his life. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So, God picks David. And he does so because man, man looks at outward appearance, but God doesn't look at the outward appearance. None of David's brothers, though they were looking good, though they should have been possibly king because of how they looked and their, their skill set and their abilities, they weren't chosen. Because a, a man who's after man's heart will do what a man wants to do, or a woman. I say man in an anthropomorphic way. A person who wants, who has a heart for God will do life the way God wants. When I do life after Harold's heart, I make choices based off of how I view things, my perspective, what's going on in my life and how that impacts me, what I think I should do in response to whatever is going on in my life. And I use my wisdom, I use my experience, and I use what's going on in my life, and I respond to that. Now we know from Scripture, the Bible constantly tells us that when we have our mindset on the flesh, which is what I'm doing there, mindset on what I think, is the same as mindset on the flesh, sinful thinking, then there's destruction. Romans 8 talks about that. But a mind set on the Spirit, the mind who thinks the way God wants us to think, the, the heart that's set on God, they, they see things with God's perspective. There are things going on in their lives, and so they look at those things thinking, okay, so God's in this, God's working in this, so how does God want me to respond? What's the way I can operate in such a way that brings God glory to help do what God wants to do? And so God looks at our heart. 
And he wants our heart to be given to him. He wants us to have a heart after his own heart. And so David was that man. In fact, Saul knew that there was somebody in his kingdom who had this heart for God. He found out about it in 1 Samuel 13. It says this, But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. In other words, it's, it, 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 it hasn't happened yet, but it's as good as it is done. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So again, Saul is not doing life God's way. The kingdom has been removed, or will be removed, and God has already found somebody. He knows somebody who has a heart for him. So David, he measured up like his brothers. He was ruddy. You know, he, was, he had some attractiveness about him, and he's probably somebody who has some organizational skills. He was out with the flock, and he, he made sure that he took care of all that. But did you know that David, at the time that he was being anointed as future king, he was probably 10 to 15 years old. Can you imagine it? He comes walking in, you know, gawky, because, you know, that's how we are when we're junior hires. His feet are too big for his body, you know. You guys remember that junior high years? Oh, terrible. Anyways, he comes walking in and he's, you know, kind of a good looking kid. And God tells Samuel, that's the future king right there. <laughs> Again, 10 to 15 years old. I don't know what that would have done. I know if, if I walked into a room and all my brothers were there and being the youngest uh, and having gotten a lot of pink bellies over the years. And, and then I stand there and someone says, you're the president of the United States. I'd be like, oh, no. Hmm. You know, I'd jump in the limo, go driving around the block. Can't come in! You know, it'd be awesome. Taking the airplane, flying over. Anyways. So, once anointed king in the waiting, God confirmed that David was that by giving him the Holy Spirit. And it says the Holy Spirit was with him throughout his lifetime. So then the author takes us from Bethlehem, after that's done, and he takes us into Jerusalem, into the palace, to let us know, okay, now, what's going on? There's a transition that's about to happen here, so here's what we find out. Now, the Spirit of the Lord, speaking of the Holy Spirit, departed from Saul. So, this is a scary place to be. He's no longer the, under the protection and provision of God. It's all Saul, and how Saul's going to respond to life, how Saul's going to attack life. And an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him which doesn't sound good at all. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful, skillful player on the harp, and it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you, that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will be, uh, will be well. So it's like a first step of music therapy, if you've ever heard of music therapy. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. So now, who do you think that's going to be? Yeah, David. Because that's what fate does, right? I mean, it just happens to be David. Or could it be that God's working things out here for David, future king, to go into the palace? Mm. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful, skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, which means to be a strong man. He's a real man. He's a man's man. So he's ruddy. He's not, you know, he doesn't just sit on the harp going, you know, it's kind of a heavy metal harp. You know what I'm saying? He's a man's man. 
and a warrior. And so we know he's killed a bear and a lion about this time. So again, when he's a teenager, he's killing a bear and a lion. I don't know about you guys. I've taken out a couple squirrels in my life, but uh, never a bear or a lion. One prudent in speech and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. Now, again, I, I write these notes in as I'm reading because it's just how I stay in the story. How did this guy know about David? He's in the palace serving. How does he know about David who's in Bethlehem, which is you know, several miles away from Jerusalem? How does all that happen? Maybe God doing something? So Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the flock. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David his son. Now, time out again. <laughs> I would think there's something happening between send me your son and Jesse sending his, the donkey with everything in his son. Don't you think that Jesse who knows his son is the king in waiting. When he hears Saul wants David, that he's not thinking, this is not good. I mean, if you've done any history reading, you know that when kings are in charge, kings will do all sorts of stuff to keep their authority, to keep their, you know, their clan in charge. And so you've got to know, I, again, I'm kind of reading into it, but I'm... And, you know, there's nothing in there. I just put myself in his shoes. Does Saul know that David is the future king? Did he somehow find out? And so I'm sure there's some fear happening there, right? I'm not really sure, but I'm going to do the next right thing. So he sends. So then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. So man, he really trusted him. He's his right-hand man. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So he came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would play the harp, or take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him at least until the next time. And so, having read that, I'm, I'm assuming most of you are going to be like, wait, 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 wait. There's an evil spirit from the Lord? How does that happen? What's going on there? Who is this spirit? What is this spirit? So let me deal with that so I can get on with the message and get the important stuff. First of all, he removes the Holy Spirit because Saul has rejected God. Saul doesn't want to do life God's way. And in the Old Testament, a little theology doctrine here for you, in the Old Testament, um, the, old, the Holy Spirit would be put on a person who would then be able to do what it is God calls them to do. But when they didn't want to do life God's way, when they rejected God, they would, then God would remove the Holy Spirit. And so he came upon people and he was removed from people. Uh, David prayed in Psalm 51 after he messed up, which you'll have to come back in a couple weeks to find out what that mess up was. Or you can read ahead, which would be even awesomer, but if that's a word. And so he, he said, hey, do not remove your spirit from me. Why would he pray that? Because that could possibly happen. In the New Testament, after Jesus Christ died on the cross, and then he rose from the dead, and then he went back to heaven, he said, hey, I'm going to send God the Holy Spirit to you, and he's going to indwell you permanently. And so after Jesus, now the Holy Spirit is given to us who have placed our faith in Christ, and he's given to us eternally. He's the one who guarantees us our place in heaven, uh, is what Paul tells us. So, back to Paul and his evil spirit. 
So he, he's, um, he's rejected God. And so it says that God gave him an evil spirit. Well, we know from Scripture elsewhere, it says that God can't do evil. God can't sin. God can't do evil. So it's probably better to say that God allowed this because God can use evil for his purposes in that sense, where he can allow things to happen which will allow his purposes to actually take place. And so it's probably better to say God allowed this evil spirit and his evil spirit would terrorize him, and which means basically it describes the symptoms of an anxiety attack, a severe anxiety attack. When he translated the, New Te- or the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek, ancient Greek, they used the word for choking. And so I don't know if any of you guys have had uh, anxiety attacks. I've experienced a couple of them, and, and I know exactly what that feeling is, and it's not a fun experience. And so Paul would have these come on him from time to time. They would just, and we'll hear more about it moving forward. And so the spirit, the spirit can be either a divine spirit, it could be a non-physical being, it can mean heart, it could mean mind, it could be breath, it could mean wind. And so the context is going to tell us what it is. So early on, the context is talking about the Holy Spirit. Later on, it's talking about the spirit. So the question is, is the spirit a demon or is the spirit a mental health issue that the Old Testament writers weren't familiar with mental health issues and so they didn't know what an anxiety attack was and that kind of stuff. So they just, a spirit was upon. There's a, there's a debate over what that is, if it is or isn't. I'm not going to get into it today. You can set up an appointment and we can have a conversation about it. But point being, the reason why either of those were happening is because Paul, uh, Saul, Paul, Saul stepped, I was doing pretty good up to that point, I think. Saul stepped out from underneath God's protection and provision. And so if you're like, well, how does that work? Like, how can a mental health issue be because we're not seeing life the way God wants us to see it? Well, again, I'm not going to get into that, but you can go back to a series that we did called Winning the Battle for Your Mind, week 5, uh, May 28th, and I talk about that. So you can go back to that, ser- that ser- uh, sermon and uh, hear what I had to say there about how that could all kind of play out. There's just too much to get into this morning. And then you can set up a time to come talk to me during the week. I'm always available for that. So one of Saul's servants says, hey, I know, I, I know music will probably help in this situation. And so I got a guy. I know a guy. And so he's kind of like Stan. He's got a guy. And so he's, gonna, he's got this guy who plays the harp. Now we've got Kathy Alter who plays the harp for us. Um, and so I guess feel free to call her. I wouldn't call her a man's man. Um, I would say she's a woman's woman. Um, but whatever the case, she plays the harp and does a really great job of it, and I know she's gone to some people's houses when they're uh, recovering and stuff like that and played for them, which is awesome. She's also not a would-be king. Anyway, so the would-be king is now in place serving the current king. Now, we talked about how kings can operate, right? So this doesn't bode well. This is not a good thing when a future king who's not related to the current king is amongst the king. So what will happen? You have to come back next week to find out how this plays out. For now, we're going to close with four lessons for life, as I'm calling them. All right? So we're going to blitz through these things pretty, quest, uh, pretty quickly. So pulling just from these 23 verses that we just read, just four things. There's probably more in here, but I'm choosing four things. And the first one is this. Lesson number one, God is always working out his plan in our lives. Whether you're a believer in Christ or not, God's still always working out his plan. We call this the sovereignty of God. And so I put up a definition here of the sovereignty of God. It says, The self-existing, infinite creator, 
He has the power, wisdom, and authority, in other words, the right, to do anything he chooses with his creation, that includes you and me, to accomplish his plans. Now, this does not remove our free will or personal responsibility. We still have free will. We can choose to do life God's way, uh, or we can choose to reject God. Um, But God, who is infinitely wise and powerful, he can work around our decisions. He can maneuver and make sure that his plan is the one that's going to come to be. Now, of course, our goal is to be a part of that, right? Not to be a hindrance to that or to be frustrating, frustrating that if there's any frustration for God in that sense. But God is always at work, working out his plan. So, I need everybody looking up here. So far, it looks good. You guys are all staying with me today. This is all, at least you're acting like you are. That's pretty good. I appreciate that. So no circumstance, no situation, no struggle, no person, or in my life is a, mis- a mistake or a surprise to God. He knows everything that's going on. He knows why that person's in your life. He knows why that situation's in your life. He, know why, he knows why he's allowing it. Because he's working out his plan. Now, what's God's plan? Let me just summarize it. The first thing, part of his plan, is that he wants to glorify himself. That's a, that's a big theological word. It really just means for him to reveal himself. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, he's allowing things into your life to reveal to you that you need him. That you need your creator. The one who wants to be your eternal father. You need him. You can't do this life and you certainly can't do the afterlife without him. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants you to know that you need him. You can't get through this life your way. You can't use your wisdom in this life. And so he wants to reveal himself, that he is the provider, that he is the protector, that he is the comforter, that he is the, the strong one, that he is the whatever, the counselor, the, everything you need for life and for godliness is what Peter tells us. And then once we place our faith in him, because he's drawing people to him through him revealing himself, then our responsibility is to live life the way God wants us to, to reflect back to everybody else in our life who God is. This is how God responds. This is how Jesus would respond. And in doing that, they will say, wow, I see you going through this difficult time. How are you doing that? And you'll be like, well, you know, I'm really trying to do what God says in his word, and so I'm I'm responding this way, and I know I'm not perfect, and I'm sorry when I'm not perfect. And we just tell them what we're trying to do. And somehow or another, God uses that. Secondly, we can't let other people's disobedience, their rejection of God to derail us. I get this. I understand this. The number of times I have conversations with people, and they've got stuff going on in their life. So then I say, hey, well, here's what God says to do. And actually, here's what I've done in my life when I've done it right. And here's what I've done when I've done it wrong. And how it played out. And here's what I did when I did it right. Here's how it played out. And, and then they were like, yeah, whatever. I'm human. I'm not a machine. I'm not AI. AI Herald. I'm not that. I'm, I'm human. That bugs me. That disturbs me. That discourages me. And it actually gets me to sometimes, God, I, I just don't even know anymore. Like, I, mean, I know you're the one who changes hearts, but I'm not worth you using me anymore. I'm not adequate. I'll tell you, I'm telling myself this. So what do I do with that? Well, I go back and I start reading the Bible again. And I start telling 
myself what God tells me about my, who I am in his, as his child. Then, yeah, it's not about me. It's about him. So just do the next right thing, Harold. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. And so I confess where I've messed up, and I get back on track, and I do the next right thing. Thirdly, God leads us step by step. Just do the next right thing. God rarely, if ever, gives us the end results. Because really, the end results don't really matter in one sense. Because God wants us to trust him. He wants us to take a step. And then when we take that step, he works out what he's going to work out. Like, wow, God is awesome. That's what he wants. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to see him at work. He wants us to know that his way is better than our way. And then when we get to heaven, it's going to be awesome. But here on this earth, we're not necessarily going to see the end result. He just wants us to be faithful, to trust him, taking the next right step. And the last one is this. God looks at our hearts. So it brings me back to the first question. If God were to evaluate your heart, if God were to evaluate my heart, my heart, what would he say? Does he see in our lives a desire, again, not perfect, but a desire to do it God's way? Does he see that we do have a heart for God? Or does he see by how we live life, how we choose to view things and what we choose to dwell on and how we choose to respond, that we actually have a heart for ourselves? Again, our prayer is, as we go through the story of David and see how David responded to life circumstances, the good things and the bad things, the good choices and the bad choices, the right choices and the wrong choices, that we'd be motivated and encouraged, okay, God, I want to do it your way. I'm going to trust you that you've got this figured out. I'm going to take a step of faith and just take the next right step and ask you to work in and through me to impact others. Let's go ahead and stand. Closing prayer.